Mic check, mic check. We here, we here. Welcome to the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night, whatever time it is that you're listening to this show. I thank you for listening. I thank the people on Spotify. I thank the people on iTunes. I thank the people on Google Play. I thank the people who are just consuming this podcast through other means. I appreciate everyone for tuning in. It's the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast, and we back at it one more time. I'm going to get back in my bag this podcast. You know, I couldn't stay away too long. There's a lot of things going on in the news I want to touch on. Before we get into it, everybody should be following me on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge unprocessed underscore knowledge on instagram i'll keep you guys in tune to when the shows will be dropping as well as other stuff i got going on you can follow me through the instagram there appreciate all the support shout out to all the supporters i guess the uh, before we really get things rolling one of the big things in the news was uh, nipsey hustle's home going ceremony uh, his funeral this week man what a beautiful way to to send that brother home um, of everything he did to, to for that community in Los Angeles. Um, it shows that he, a lot of people he, he touched a lot of people. He motivated a lot of people. He, he inspired a lot of people that, that loved him, especially in, in that community. I'm down to have your funeral in the Staples Center. I, I believe the only other person to ever have their funeral in the Staples Center was Michael Jackson. And that's wow. That says a lot. Um, everybody's I, I didn't see everybody's speeches but for the people that i did hear speak uh very moving um i think i seen a video that his mom put out she gave some very encouraging words and um at the end of the ceremony for for his hearse to take i think it was like a 25 mile lap around uh, los angeles uh, a victory lap so to speak his final victory lap man that that was awesome. That was awesome. That was excellent. Rest in peace uh, to Nipsey. Now that we got that out the way. All right. Quite a few things been bubbling in the news. Quite a few topics I could jump on. I don't know where I want to go first. I kind of got a, a smorgasbord, smorgasbord of, of racist material I want to I wanna dig into today. Let's start with the church bomber down in Louisiana. I'm, I'm sorry, the church burner, not the bomber. I get them confused sometimes. The church arson down in Louisiana. Let's go there. We are extremely unequivocally confident that we have the person who is responsible for these tragic crimes on these three churches. 21-year-old Holden Matthews, who is a resident of Opelousas, uh, has been arrested. He's been charged with state crimes by the state fire marshal's office. Louisiana revised statute 1452.1, three counts of simple arson on religious buildings. Each one of these charges have a maximum of 15-year penalty. As a quick recap of the case, uh, three churches in St. Landry Parish burned in a 10-day span. The St. Mary Baptist Church in Port Barry on March 26th. The Greater Union Baptist Church on April 2nd, and finally the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church on April 8th. We can now confirm that all three of these fires are intentionally set, and all three of these fires are related. Several pieces of evidence, both physical from the scene and technological evidence, have confirmed 
that Matthews is a suspect. Matthews uh, had offered, through suggestions and connections, a relationship with a type of music called black metal and its association and history with church burnings in other parts of the world. Some media outlets prematurely reported that the suspect, Holden Matthews, father turned him in. Now let me correct that. That is not, let me repeat, that is not true. Holden Matthews' father did not turn him in. This case was solved because of the men and women that were assigned were competent and driven to make an arrest. This case was solved because of the boots on the ground and the butts in the air. They didn't stop. Because of Holden's father or anyone else turning him in, it didn't happen. And as we all know by now, Holden's father is an employee of mine, fine man. He was shot and hurt, as any father would be. And my heart went out to him yesterday when we notified him to come in. And I talked to him, and the news was broke to him. Uh, he was in terrible shape. And when Matthews was developed as a suspect, we saw an immediate threat to public safety. We felt that other crimes were imminent. In an abundance of public safety, we quickly uh, secured state warrants and took him into custody. So when we say this investigation is still active, understand that th there were extraordinary means taken to bring safety to this community. And again, I will say, the threat is now gone. All right, there you have it. Down in Louisiana, son of Deputy Sheriff, 21-year-old, white male, Holden Matthews, set fire and burned down three historically black churches within 10 days. Now, before we get into it, I just would like to remind the audience the reason that we have an historically black church is because in this country, first, you had a white church and the white church wouldn't allow black people to come in. there, So black people had to start their own churches. That's where you get the historically black church. Let's make sure we say it correctly. Some people call it a black church. No, it's a historically black church. There's no such thing as a, a black church. It's a church. Anybody can go there. You don't have to be black. You can be white, Asian, Latino, however you, you identify yourself. You don't have to be black to go to the church. But it is a historically black church for a reason. And I think it's important for people to remember that. And it's important to make that distinction and point that out. So you had white people telling black people you're not allowed in our churches. Go build your own. So they built their own churches. And then this this guy holding Matthews, he goes and burns the, the historically black churches to the ground. Now, think about this. How cowardly do you have to be? To go set fire to a church in the middle of the night. How, how cowardly do you have to be to set fire to a church and run away? Now, if you notice from the clip, he's being he's not being charged with a crime. He's being charged with three counts of simple arson. 
if this dude was a Muslim and he set fire to three Christian churches, he'd be called a terrorist and he'd be charged with a hate crime. And the president of the United States would be all over his Twitter acting a damn fool. But since he is a young white male and these are black churches, it's just, you know, simple arson. We'll we'll hit him with that. This is terrorism in every every sense of the imagination, every letter to the definition. This this is terrorism. Let me tell you why. Number one, it's it's psychological terror. Churches are soft targets. Most church, you know, a church doesn't have armed security. Most churches don't don't even have cameras or floodlights, especially historically black churches. It's a soft target. It's a place of worship. People go to church to worship God. People don't go to church expecting to have expecting to have to defend themselves. Dylan Storm Roof right? went to that church in South Carolina. Went, went to Bible study, I believe on a Tuesday night. And when everybody was praying, he pulled out his handgun and murdered everyone. A church is a place of worship. A church is a safe space. You go there to, to worship God. You have a spiritual connection with the, or many people have a spiritual connection Many people have an emotional connection. Many people go to church to fellowship. That's why they call it. They call it a church family. You're all supposed to be one family. You, you, you come there. It's a warm. It's a warm feeling. It's a friendly feeling. It's supposed to be a family atmosphere. This is where you come to fellowship. This is, and this is where you come to. Express your spirituality. By someone burning that place to the ground psychologically is saying this is where you came to worship this is where you came to fellowship this is where you came to come together in peace and express your spirituality and i'm taking this from you i'm burning this to the ground i'm taking away your safe space psychologically that says you're not safe anywhere if i could burn this place to the ground in the middle of the night without warning, if I could take this from you, I could take anything from you. Anytime, any place, black people, you're not safe anywhere. It's not a coincidence. He just didn't randomly get a hankering to set fire to something and bump into, you know, randomly running the three black churches within a span of 10 days. No. Nah. First of all, he's a white boy. So he don't even know where the historically black churches are. Think about that. He had to go on the Internet, find out where they were in his area, put the address in his GPS. He probably had to go scout it out to make sure they didn't have floodlights, to make sure they didn't have any type of security, to make sure they didn't have any type of cameras, you know, to look around, check the surroundings out to see, you know, any potential witnesses. So he, he, he scouted them out. He planned it. And then he went on a day he knew it was going to be dark and he can light a fire. Burn the church, the black, the historically black church down and get away with it. Now, in the clip I just played, courtesy of ABC News, 
the deputy sheriff, well, I'm not sure if he's deputy sheriff, the police officer spoke first. And the first, one of the things he said is, it's an ongoing, well, one of the last things he said, actually, was it's it's an ongoing investigation and they believe public safety was at risk. When he says public safety, he means the safety of black people and that community was at risk. And he believes other attacks were imminent. I'm curious to know what else was he planning? What else was he planning to do to black folks? Was he planning on burning down more churches or was he planning on something else? That That's very interesting. We can't let that slide by. If there's a white supremacist on the loose taking action, lighting fires, planning attacks, I think the community deserves to know what other attacks was he planning? And it also got pointed out that Holden Matthews is the son of a deputy police officer down in Louisiana. Now, this kid is 21. Oh, well, he's not a kid. He's a man. Holden Matthews is 21 years old. And his father's a deputy sheriff. Don't know anything about his father. Holden Matthews is clearly racist. I suspect his father probably knew that his son had racist views. And if that's the case, I'm interested to know what did his father do about it? Where did Holden Matthews get these racist views from? I believe now they're they're actually trying to push it. Uh, this 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 black metal he's into, they're, they're almost pushing that as in, well, you know, he he's into this black metal thing. So he was kind of influenced by that. You know, he, he was kind of influenced by this by this fringe heavy metal thing to go do what he did. You know, that's that's kind of their thing. So he, he kind of got caught up in it. Uh, how about Holden Matthews? He's just a racist. And the whole reason he was attracted to this black metal genre of music is because he was racist in the beginning and that just attracted him to it even more with their little ra- racist ideology and then he took his racism and put it into practice and started terrorizing the black people in his vicinity by burning down their places of worship when i was thinking about this or not thinking about this when i was reviewing this story i don't believe and hey co- viewers correct me if i'm wrong hit me up on social media has there ever been a case of a black person that went into a predominantly white neighborhood and set their churches on fire because they hated white people so much has that ever happened think about that think about in the 1960s where those three little black angels was killed in that church bombing think about what happened a few years ago with dylan storm roof in that historically black church in Charleston, South Carolina. Now these historically black churches down in Louisiana being burned by Holden Matthews. White people have a long-standing history of this, of not only uh, burning down black churches, but attacking people while they're at church. This isn't anything new. Everybody, let's keep an eye on this one because he hasn't been sentenced yet. I'm curious to see what type of sentence he gets, what type of jail time he gets. Very curious. Let's move on to the next story of the docket. I got two to choose from. Where do I want to go? I'm a sandwich. Let's go ahead and go to the NBA. Longtime NBA player. I believe he's been in the league 16 years. Kyle Korver wrote a, 
I believe, an op-ed piece where he was speaking out against racism. And let's cue up the clip. Let's see what he said. And let's talk about it. Keep in mind, Kyle Corbett is a white NBA player. Let's go. Corver wrote a very revealing article in the Players' Tribune yesterday titled Privileged. In the article, Corver says moments like his teammate Tabo Cephalosha's encounter with the police in 2015 and Russell Westbrook's verbal exchange with a fan in Utah last month over alleged racial taunts opened his eyes. Here's part of what Corver wrote. There's an elephant in the room that I've been thinking about a lot over the last few weeks. It's the fact that, demographically, if we're being honest, I have more in common with the fans in the crowd at your average NBA game than I have with the players on the court. How can I, as a white man, part of this systemic problem, become part of the solution when it comes to racism in my workplace, in my community, in this country? I know that, as a white man, I have to hold my fellow white men accountable. We all have to hold each other accountable. We're joined by Robert. I don't believe Kyle Corver deserves a standing ovation for this, but I'll, I'll give him a sitting ovation. What about a pat on the back? Just a Can we get a pat on the back? Hey, I, it's a start, but this okay. is just me. And this is the, I have encouraged and pushed for this show in its former life, going back 10, 12 years, to do as many race topics as possible. And I've sat many times with three black people on these, these panels and discussions because the more you talk about it, the more you might open some white parent's mind mm -hmm. to, ooh, I do think that, and I am instilling those values mm -hmm. or lack thereof in yes. my children. And that's where it all starts is at home, behind closed doors, in white households. So, Kyle Corver, this is a small step, but it's, it's, it's a little naive to me. I'm just now, this is the first time I can ever speak. I, I do get this because I'm like he is. I'm a white guy, so I know where he's coming from, mm -hmm. and I'm a little surprised it took him, remember, he's 38 years of age. He's played 16 years in a league dominated by black men, 75% mm -hmm. or more, 80% right. black. Since it became integrated, okay. it's always been dominated. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many black teammates he, teammates he had at Creighton. I don't know how many he had. He was in small town Iowa. Mm -hmm. in Probably none. Probably, <laughs> maybe none, maybe yeah. a couple. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But the point is, it took you this long to have this epiphany. Oh, wow, we need to stamp out racism in America. I'm embarrassed by this. What? You, you, it took you this long to be enlightened when you've lived around black men your whole life? You know, your, your teammates, your, your co-workers have all been black. And again, you did kind of a white thing. All you did is make 43% of your jump shots to, to stay in this league for your career, right? But, but again, it's, it's a little naive. It's like, let's stamp out war. I want world peace. And he says, you know, we need to understand that black lives do matter. Duh. I mean, well, come on. Really? It took, you know, okay. Is, is this like a breakthrough? Is, is this a revelation? But, but yeah. there are people who would push back and, and, and whenever you talk about that, say all lives matter. Right. And they don't get what, what okay. it is we're and, talking and, about. And that's the thing. Here's the thing, though, Skip. We, okay. While we're commending him and he had this epiphany, how many of those that have not right. had that epiphany? Right. That's fine. And I'm with you a thousand percent. I told you it's a very positive step for any professional athlete yes. to write this where right. you can absorb it in the written word as opposed to he gave a couple of quotes to right. USA right. Today or whatever right. and it goes in one eye and out the other. You can actually digest this. Right. But it gets so deep if I may. He, he says as white people we we are are we guilty of the sins of our forefathers and he says no but are we responsible? He says yes. I, I'm completely the opposite of that. I feel crushing terrible guilt yeah. that our country was built by men 
who had slaves. I mean, it just tears my guts out. I I live with the guilt of that. Do I feel responsible for it? No, I don't feel responsible at all. Do do I feel responsible that I need to to try to find solutions to it in in our very small ways on our little platform that we have here? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. So I take that responsibility to heart every day on this show. But but Kyle is, is, is concluding finally that we need to denounce race. Really? Oh, that's a revelation. And, and I go back to my flashpoint of my career was Riley Cooper. It, it was, I can't tell, this is 2013, I'm on first take. I, I was, I still get goosebumps when I talk about it because I was so sick that that, that man who played for the Philadelphia Eagles had too much to drink and he was at a country concert in Philadelphia in the preseason during the during training. I guess they'd broken camp, they were in Philly. And he got mad at a security guard who happened to be black. And he uttered the most evil word in the English language. And it's the one that ends in the hard ER. Not the one that ends in A, but ER. White man saying that word, you are out. You you have to, that, that word needs to be eradicated from our language. And for me, Chip Kelly had to take a stand. Jeffrey Lurie, the owner, had to take a stand. Michael Vick, the leader of that team, had to take a stand, and he had to be gone. And you know what? They sent him home for a weekend. No, but you see what they did. No, 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 no. That would have been the easy. What you, you're absolutely right. The head coach and the owner. But what did they do? They shifted to the black players. What do you guys yeah, want to do? Yeah, I know. All right. Kyle Corver confronts his own white privilege. In the Players Tribune article, that clip, courtesy of FS1. Let's get into it. Kyle Corver wrote an article telling the truth from a white man's perspective. He told the truth, but I would use different word. Mm, well, you know what? He said some t- truthful things in my view if he wanted to totally tell the truth keep in mind when when people talk about you know racism and white privilege and and we got to condemn racism and oh my god it just breaks my heart that you know the sins of my of my forefathers uh, this country was built on the backs of slaves and man what can we do about it look if you want to confront racism you don't have to go back two three four hundred years we can confront systematic racism that's going on right now today unarmed black people being murdered by white police officers the criminal justice system warehousing black bodies in prison the health care system the economy the black black unemployment rate remember when trump was was talking about how how, how great the black unemployment rate was and how he was the greatest president black america ever seen well take a look at the black unemployment rate right now today isn't doing so great that's why he doesn't talk about it anymore race the, the racism that affects black people in all phases of people activity right now today not 100 years before you was born not you know 50 60 years ago <laughs> when he was just the baby we can talk about it right now today, but they always go back to the past because no one has a time machine. So you can't go back in the past and fix what already happened. But you can do something going forward. You can do something about right now. You can do something about today. So let's start there. Number one, he used the word white privilege. 
that sticks out to me. I just want to point out to the audience, white privilege is simply being treated fairly within the system of white supremacy. When white people are treated fairly and within the system of white supremacy, they call that white privilege. So if they call being treated fairly white privilege, white, white privilege, what happens to the rest of us that aren't white? How are we being treated? Hmm. Let's think about that one. But I also agree with the commentary of, of Skip Bayless, like Kyle Corver. He's 38 years old. He's played in the NBA 16 years. He's just now having this epiphany <laughs> that racism is bad and we need to get rid of it. I mean, come on, guys. He asked the question, what what as a white man? And I think this is wrong. What what can I do? How, how can I help? You know, I just have to hold my fellow men responsible. And look. I'm not trying to take a sarcastic tone. I'm not trying to make fun of Kyle Corver. I, I do think what he did what, what was a bold step because when you play in professional sports, you are never talk, supposed to talk about race. They, especially if you white, <laughs> never really even supposed to talk about it. You're just supposed to ignore it, pretend like it doesn't exist. When these professional sports leagues, they, they run them like plantations. Uh, I'm going to try to help Kyle Corver out. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Here's what you can do. Number one, don't be racist and tell all your white counterparts, let's dismantle the system of racism, white supremacy. Let's not practice racism, white supremacy anymore. Let's start treating everybody justly and fairly across the board, no matter who they are or what they are. And once we dismantle the system of white supremacy, then we can move forward. Only then can we move forward. Let's not think about, oh, well, you know, the sins of my great great grandpa and, you know, the you know, what happened way back then with the slaves and all that's terrible. But, you know, I, I'm not responsible for it. Well, you're responsible for what's going on right now. So let's not practice white supremacy today. Let's talk about what's going on today. Let's talk about those white supremacists that was marching down in Charlottesville. Let's talk about all these so-called conservatives that put the current president in the White House. Let, let's let's talk about that. That's how we move on. And another one. He mentioned Riley uh, Skip Bayless. He talked about uh, racist former tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles, Riley Cooper, who was at a Kenny Chesney concert. And he wanted to go backstage to see Kenny Chesney. And they blame it on the liquor. Mind you, he said, oh, I had too much to drink. Nah, that pretty much just made him say what he wanted to say anyway. He had. He wanted to go backstage to see Kenny Chesney and the bodyguard who happens to be black or the security who happens to be black wouldn't let him backstage. And he went on a nigger race tirade. Now, I believe if I remember clearly, he was ranting and raving and said he'll kill all the niggas in here. That's what he said. He'll kill all the niggas if he don't get back there to see Kenny Chesney. And while I'm on it. I kind of got from the commentary. It kind of made it of the uh, clip, of the clip I just played. It kind of made it feel like there's a, a ignorance in white America. Like some white families just don't know. Like it, it was great that Kyle Corver did what he did because it might wake some white people up. You know, if, if a white person says it and, and they are white and Kyle Corver is white and, you know, they can identify with him. It might kind of spark the brain and make and make them think, oh, man, wow, that racism thing, that's still a problem. That's still going on, man. I didn't know. Look, 
white people are not ignorant. They not stupid. They know race. America has a race problem. They're the problem. Not all white people. The ones that are practicing racism, white supremacy, they're the ones who are keeping it going. It's not ignorance. It's not circumstance. It's not a coincidence. I don't believe in the 500 year coincidence. Race is still a problem in America because you still have a system of white supremacy that is being practiced that keeps it going. Cal Cora didn't just wake up the other day and decide to write an article for the Players Tribune and had this epiphany that, wow, racism is still happening. Let's get rid of it, y'all. He's always known. I mean, people know. Don't let them pull that white people are ignorant con game on you. They're not ignorant. They know what's happening out here. Come on, man. Last but not least, the last story I am going to cover today. Let's take it down to Georgetown University. As we think this is a first, students at Georgetown University voting on whether they should be assessed a special fee that would help fund reparations for descendants of slaves once owned and sold by Georgetown University. The referendum would add a fee of $27.20 to be paid by every Georgetown undergrad student each semester. The funds would go to the descendants of the 272 slaves that Georgetown University sold back in 1838 to boost the university university's finances. There are an estimated 4,000 living descendants of Georgetown slaves. Now, we can't find any other school that's even considered reparations to help settle its slave history. Even if students vote for the fees, though, Georgetown University not required to implement the reparations. Now, I'm joined by three Georgetown University students. Help me if I get the last name wrong. Uh, uh, Alexandria Mooker. That's close. <laughs> Freshman, uh, Dave Dubke, uh, sophomore, and Samantha Moreland, also a sophomore. Okay, let, let me first find out who voted what. Are you, are you voting for the reparation fee I or not? I am voting for, yes. Against? For. Okay, let, let, let's come back here. Why are you voting for it? Well, I think that this is the first time that I've seen, as you said, an institution actually try to make measurable change and redress the history that this institution has with slavery. And I support the students who put a lot of effort behind it. Okay. Well, opposed? It is more important to do something right than it is to do something first. There are a lot of issues with this referendum uh, in its details. I think it's flawed. Um, I think that the university should pay these fees, not the student body. And third, I think even if you believe that the, the student body should pay, you do not have a right to impose your morals on, on other individuals. You're voting for? I'm voting for. I think we need to take action. I think we've done a lot of waiting and trying to push the university to do something that they're just not going to do. And I think this is our this is a perfect time to create action, create a change, and actually make a difference on this campus. All right. They trying to get some reparations done down in Georgetown. Now for those of y'all who didn't know, in 1838, Georgetown was actually free to go to for anybody who wanted to go to it. The problem was they rang up a big debt and they didn't know how to pay for it. So guess what they did? They had 272 slaves that helped build a place. They just sold them, sold them to plantations down in southern Louisiana. And that's how they paid off their debt and built uh, dormitoriums and, and buildings and roads and services for the students. They used that slave money and they parlayed that. So now Georgetown University this is the student body. This is not the university. This is the student body. They're trying to get a referendum pass to provide reparations for the descendants of the 272 slaves. I believe they said by their research, they estimate about 4,000 individuals are descendants of these 272 slaves. And they want to cut them a check every semester. Now, I didn't play the whole clip, 
But if you go back in uh, that clip, courtesy of US, WUSA 9, uh, that's the local CBS news station here in D.C., but it's uh, other news outlets have, have done the story. I'm, I'm sure, you, sure you can find it on um, a longer breakdown. Basically, they go on to say they estimate that they want all the underclassmen currently attending Georgetown to pay like a $27 fee every semester, 27 bucks. And so, so they estimate it's going to generate $400,000 a semester. Now, when you think about it, I did the math. All right. They want to distribute this 400000 amongst 4,000 people. That's only $100 a person, you know, every semester. That's $20 a year. Okay. Now, first of all, if you want to cut people a, re- a reparations, a reparations check for their ancestors being uh, enslaved, terrorized, raped, beaten, heart disfigured, in many cases murdered, you're going to have to come with more than two hundred dollar check a year. But I digress. Getting back to, to the main point. Um, for those of y'all who who didn't see the clip, the two who voted for were two young black females. The the, the one person who, who voted against it was what was a white male. He basically said, you know, he had problems with it. You know, whatever his reasons are, what his reasons are. What I would say is. I believe that the student body uh, did pass this referendum. Um, it's interesting to see where it, where it, where it goes to next, because, like I said, the school does not have they for from my knowledge, the school has issued an apology. They have confirmed that, yes, this is true. They did sell the 272 slaves. They did use the money to build up the school. They came out and they apologized and said, oh, it was horrible what happened back then. And we need to move forward. They didn't say anything about cutting anybody a check. And this is Georgetown University. Georgetown, you know, you talk Georgetown, you talk big money. Cost a lot to get in there. Their endowment is one point five billion dollars. Right. That's their endowment. Georgetown's a basketball school. Those those Georgetown Hoya games, you know, they they bring in a pretty penny for the university. They, they still have a pretty big following nationwide as well as right here in, in the nation's capital. So Georgetown has money that I think if Georgetown really wanted to do something for these four thousand descendants, they could do a little bit better than one hundred dollars a semester. But like I said, I feel like. This kind of plays back into white people are not ignorant. In this particular clip, the person that said no, I, I voted against it because I have problems, you know, with the referendum. And even if, you know, nobody should be able to impose their moral judgment on others and make them pay anything. Number one, it's a twenty-seven dollar fee. You know how much Georgetown costs a year? Tens of thousands of dollars. Number one, nobody's going to fill that little twenty-seven dollar fee every semester. Number two, I noticed that a lot of white people, specifically, they have no problem talking about how evil it was in the past and how horrible things were, and man, how that shouldn't have happened. But when it comes time to actually doing something, right now, today, the student body says, "Okay, we have a plan." Uh, everybody paid us 27 bucks and we're going to use this money to, you know, disperse this amongst the descendants of the slave. We sold. we're actually going to do something. You know, it, we're going to do something. 
some some people may think you know this this isn't enough but hey this is our plan this is what we're going to do and then he he's the first one like hold on now well i don't know you know morally if you could just make somebody <laughs> if you could push somebody into paying you know if it's my moral obligation to, to, to pay this fee and you know what happened was wrong and it was horrible but you know let's let the past be the past and can't we just move on no when it comes time to actually doing something when it comes to act time to actually cutting a check even though if it isn't even sufficient and when it comes time to just get the ball rolling they not ignorant then they know how to say no they know how to say i'm not doing that and let somebody else paying for it i'm not paying for it i know it was wrong but don't try to put it on me even though he he goes to that school and he enjoys all, all them buildings and all those facilities and all those things that those slaves built he has no problem enjoying those but when it comes to paying 27 bucks you know that that's a little too much for me to give to a negro so look, I'm back in my bag. I think I'm gonna go ahead and call that the name of today's show. Back in my bag. Had a lot to talk about. I love chopping it up with you guys. I love conversing with you guys. And you guys can converse back. Hit me up on Instagram, unprocessed underscore knowledge. Comment, share, like, post. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. I'm here for you guys. I don't do this show to make you guys think. How I think I just do it to make sure you guys are thinking this has been the unprocessed knowledge podcast. Catch y'all guys next time.